the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. There'll be a great earthquake when Jesus returns after the Battle of Armageddon. The Mount of Olives will split, will cause a new valley. And Jesus then will establish his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. So these angels are telling us what also Zechariah told us will happen. They say to the disciples, Jesus is going to come again. Same way you've seen him go to the same place. He's going to come from the sky back to earth, come back to the Mount of Olives. He will settle the battle of Armageddon. And so don't despair. He's going to come again. When we think of the end of the world, it's always a scary thought. We see everything slowly dying away, and it's easy to feel stressed. Today, Pastor Gary reassures you that there's a way to find peace in the midst of our uncertain world. Jesus, if you want a Savior who will always love you and a sense of certainty like never before, give your heart to the Lord. He asks nothing of you except that you simply accept His perfect love. Claim your stake in eternity and be assured of what matters most in this world. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has said by his own authority, but you will receive power. There's dunamis, power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. All right, let me break down these first 11 verses, and I'm going to break them down, first of all, by three important things we learn actually still here about Jesus, because this is the closing chapter of his public ministry. Sometimes we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we think, well, that's the end of his public ministry. Not yet. First 11 verses here communicate the closing chapter, the closing book Uh, of his public ministry. And one of the things we find here in these first 11 chapters is that Jesus remains on earth for 40 days after his resurrection. When Jesus 
was crucified. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. And then he still continued to walk on earth in his glorified body for 40 more days. And that's what we read there in verse uh, 3. It says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, it even points out, Paul points out that on one occasion, Jesus even appeared at one moment to 500 people. So he, at various times, over a period of 40 days, appeared to different individuals and gave many convincing proofs, it says here, that he was alive. Apparently, there, verse 3, it implies that his own disciples were still a little bewildered, like, you know, are you sure you're, you're legit? Yes, I'm legit. So that's one thing we find here from these first 11 verses. The other thing that we find here is that Jesus reminds his disciples about the Holy Spirit and their witness. And that's the section we'll talk in a minute about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and that he calls them to be witnesses. And then the third thing we're going to see here in this text is that Jesus then returns to heaven from earth. Uh, the Bible is, tells us that Jesus came from heaven Again, being part of that trinity of the Godhead, so God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that when God entered the world, he condescended to our level, took on flesh, that's Jesus. And now after Jesus' ministry is complete, he's ministered, he has uh, died, he has been buried, he rose again, and now he ascends, he returns back into heaven after these 40 days following his resurrection. So let's break down these 11 verses and and let's go back here to verse 1. But that's the overall, those three points come out of those first 11 verses. So again, here Luke addresses to Theophilus. We we talked about that. It speaks here about how he, in verse 2, he gives instructions through the Holy Spirit to his apostles that he had chosen. So it's kind of like his his departing words and counsel to them. He gives them, in verse 3, many convincing proofs that he was alive appears to them over 40 days, spoke about the kingdom of God. That's interesting. Luke 17, Jesus said, the kingdom of God will not come with your careful observation or expectations. Neither will people say, here it is or there it is, for the kingdom of God is within you. The idea of the kingdom of God is that it is the rule and reign of the Lord in your life. In any kingdom, there's always a king and there are subjects to the king. That's what defines a kingdom. So the kingdom of God is the idea that God is king, Jesus is Lord, and you are his subject. And the idea of the kingdom of God in my life means that I have to surrender and submit my life to the lordship of Jesus. He is king. He is supreme, not me. And so lordship, you know, the idea of Christianity is the idea not just of salvation, not just a ticket to heaven, but it is the concept of a life of lordship. It is a life of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom of God. He's king. We are subjects to the king. We serve and love and honor him. And so he speaks about the kingdom of God. And then verse 4, this is kind of interesting because it tells us something about our glorified bodies. Take a look. Here he is in his glorified, resurrected body. But verse 4 says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them. Now, why would a glorified body need food? A glorified body does not need food for sustenance. But listen to this, gang. When you get a glorified body, you get to eat for pleasure. (laughs) Now, some of you right now eat for pleasure. You probably should just be eating for survival. But in that day, you get to eat for pleasure. You don't need it for survival. Bring it on. Amen? So, Jesus is eating with them. 
And he gave him this command. Now listen to what he says to his disciples. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Now notice the Holy Spirit, he comes as a gift. You know, none of us earn it. We don't, we don't deserve it. It's, it's given to us. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, we can actually do the math. We have the advantage of knowing when the Holy Spirit actually came on the day of Pentecost. That's Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost is the 50th day from the word pente for 50. And if Jesus, the 50th day following Passover, which is when Jesus was crucified, if Jesus is crucified and then he lives on earth another 40 days and the 50th day is when the Holy Spirit comes, then they wait for 10 days. Now, they don't know how long they're going to wait. They're just going to wait. Jesus didn't say how long to wait. They're just going to wait. And he tells them to wait, what? For the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, and you can read back in John 14, 15, and 16. We've been through John where he spoke about the Holy Spirit. He described the ministry a little bit of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16. He said, you've heard me speak about this. He says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. You just tarry here for a little while, for a few days. And then he says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now notice this. He distinguishes between two types of baptism. He speaks about the baptism of John. That's John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptized with water. Water baptism is distinguished from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The word baptism comes from the Greek word with a similar sound, baptizo, and it just means to overwhelm, to be inundated, to be overwhelmed with. So Jesus says, you know, there's a water baptism when you're kind of overwhelmed by being dunked under water. He says there's another kind of baptism, and this is the baptism when you will be overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit will come upon you in a powerful, overwhelming way. Now, they had no clue what to expect. They're just hearing this. So what does this look like? What is this going to feel like? What is this going to sound like? All they know is there's going to be this overwhelming kind of work of the Spirit. You know, who is the Spirit? You know, they, they have never had any personal encounter with the Spirit of God in this way. So he gives this instruction. Now, here's what's important to note. And I mentioned this when we were closing out the last couple of chapters of the Gospel of John. If you go back to John chapter 20, just please go back a couple of pages. I'll tell you, here's where my own tradition got challenged when, when I understood what Scripture actually said about the Holy Spirit. Back in John 20, when Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had risen from the dead, here they are meeting quietly and privately, and in chapter 20, uh, verse uh, 19, it says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit? Right here in John chapter 20. The idea being that when they believed and received Jesus Christ as the risen Lord Jesus, 
and they put their faith and trust in him. Jesus then breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit as part of that salvation experience. You cannot separate the Trinity. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. That's what is happening here in John 20. But you see, my tradition and some of your traditions as well told you, told me, that that's it. You got all the Holy Spirit at that point when you get saved and that's all you need. What is challenging to that tradition is that if the disciples received everything there was concerning the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, why is it then here in Acts chapter 1, you can go back to Acts 1 now, why is it that he told the very same people that he had just breathed the Holy Spirit upon to wait for the gift that my Father promised, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And what Scripture teaches us when you compare Scripture with Scripture, John 20 with Acts chapter 1, is that you have to make room for the idea that Scripture presents, you receive the Holy Spirit when you get saved, but that fullness and baptizing work of the Holy Spirit is a second work of grace. Now, it has nothing to do with salvation. You don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to go to heaven, but I can tell you this. You do need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to live a fruitful, productive life as a Christian on this earth until you get there. We need to be empowered for service and as witnesses. We need power and the strength over temptation. We need the very presence and power of the fullness of God's Spirit to be believers who are energized for service and have the ability to overcome temptation and to be effective as witnesses in this world. You can go to heaven without the fullness, but you will not be effective in this world without the power. And this is that baptizing work that Jesus is referring to. So they receive the Holy Spirit in John 20, but he says, I want you to wait for the fullness of the Spirit. There's more. There's more to this experience. Then I run into far too many Christians, and honestly, sometimes just because they don't know. Their life is miserable. I mean, they're on their way to heaven, but you'd never know it. You know what I'm saying to you? I mean, you know... They're depressed, they're sad, they don't have any power, they they don't feel any effectiveness over temptation, they don't have any desire or passion to witness the lost and dying world. I mean, you know, they're going to heaven, they love Jesus, but but they they wonder, you know, why doesn't there not seem to be any joy, any excitement, any peace? You know, you think about the fruit of the Spirit and the the gifts of the Spirit, and without that empowering work, uh, life can, as a Christian, can be rather empty and dull and ineffective. And so Jesus says, I want you to wait I want you to tarry in Jerusalem for the gift my father promised, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here he tells them this, like there's this overwhelming work of the Spirit. It's going to come. Just wait a few days. You're going to be baptized, overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. And then the next verse, verse 6, So when they met together, they asked him, well, Lord, uh, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's like they take a left turn. Are you not focusing on what he just said there? So he addresses that real quickly. He says to them, hey, it's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father set by his own authority. And what they really want to get to is, okay, great, Holy Spirit, baptism, fullness, okay, whatever. What we really want to know is, when are you going to rule and reign on earth and we're going to overcome the Roman Empire and we're going to be victorious on earth? And he says, listen, guys, the time for that is not for you to know right now. That My Father knows dates and times, that's all in his timing, okay? Don't be concerned about that right now. And then he goes back to the subject. Verse 8, but you will receive power, guys, 
He's like, forget about like my second coming. Okay, I haven't even left yet. You know, don't worry, don't worry about when I'm coming again. You know, focus for now on the power. I want to give you some power here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now again, the word power there in the Greek is dunamis. And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, or King James says upon you, and it is the Greek word epi, E-P-I. And it is a different aspect to what Jesus said back in John. Let me just read real quickly what, what he said back in John concerning the Holy Spirit. And I mentioned this when we were in John's Gospel, but I just want to tie it together now with Acts since we're here in Acts. But back in John 14, verse 15, he said, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Okay, The word comforter, parakletos, the one who comes alongside, it's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So he defines it, capital S, Spirit. The counselor is the Spirit. He says, Now the world cannot accept him, notice, not it, him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Notice those two prepositions. Jesus says the one of the aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is with you. None of us came to faith in Jesus Christ, if you know Christ as your Savior, by only the exercise of your intellect. Your intellect was engaged by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit was working with and around you to bring you to that place of surrender. Knocking on the door of your heart. And Jesus says, for, for the world cannot accept him, the world that doesn't believe cannot accept the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But you know him, for he's with you. And then there in John 14, he says, second preposition, and he shall be in you. Now, when did the Holy Spirit come in them? When Jesus appears to them, breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit because they believe in the finished work of Christ. Again, when you get saved, Holy Spirit comes in you. Back here in Acts 1, this is the third preposition. Not only is the Holy Spirit with you, wooing you, drawing you to Christ, Holy Spirit comes in you when you get saved, but now Jesus says, I want you to wait for the gift my Father promised, and you'll be my witnesses there in verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's a different preposition altogether. This is that description of that overwhelming work, that empowering of God's Spirit. And notice he says, and you'll be my witnesses. Now, doesn't that sound fancy because we all want to be witnesses for Christ? You know the Greek word there for witness? And for every time you see witness in the New Testament, it is martus. It is where we get our English word martyr. Who wants to be one of those? Right? Not so much. I'm not sure I want to die. I just want to be a good example, you know? But that's really the ultimate definition of witness because these guys are going to really understand the true definition of being a witness. You're going to be my witness? Yeah, by the way, you're all going to die. I mean, with the exception of John becoming an old man living on the island of Patmos, uh, and he ends up being inspired to write the book of Revelation, they're all going to be martyred. They're all going to lose their life for the cause of Christ. That's really being a witness. Okay. None, of us, none of us give our testimony, witness, share our faith with people at work or that who we know or our neighbors or whatever, family members. That's giving a testimony. Being a witness is being prepared to die for your faith, being a martyr. And that's what he says. You're going to be sent to the ends of the earth to share the good news of who I am. And it might even require your lives. And what I love about this mandate, he kind of commissions them here. He says, listen, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit because you're going to need to be my witnesses. He says, in Jerusalem, where are they when he's saying all this? They're in Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right here. And then in Judea and Samaria, which are the neighboring provinces. And he says, and 
to the ends of the earth. You know, we need to give testimony to who Christ is because we want to reach our community and we want to reach the world with the good news of Christ. But Jesus says to his disciples here, and okay, and it translates to us, you're going to need power to do this. You're going to need the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So those are his parting instructions. Because then in verse 9 it says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So Jesus ascends. He goes back up into heaven. Now it's going to tell us here, down in verse 12, that they're on the Mount of Olives. Because it tells us in verse 12, they, they're going to return to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. So that's where this takes place. Jesus ascends back into heaven from the Mount of Olives, which is just that hill east of the old city of Jerusalem, and he vanishes from their sight, taken up bodily in their presence. And after that happens, notice verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. These are angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, in the margin of your Bible right there, you can write down this verse, and I'm going to read it, but you can write down Zechariah 14, 3 and 4. Zechariah 14, 3 and 4. What did the two angels say to the disciples? That Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives. He's going to return to the Mount of Olives. The prophet Zechariah tells us that very thing. When Jesus comes again, after the seven years of tribulation, which will culminate in the battle of Armageddon, Jesus will come again to the earth, and he will overthrow the nations that are opposed to God and opposed to Israel, and he will be victorious there and end the battle of Armageddon. And he will establish his kingdom on earth earth for a thousand years. And then after that, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But the Bible says in Zechariah 14, 3 and 4, that Jesus will, in fact, return to the Mount of Olives. And it tells us this. I'll read it to you. Zechariah 14, verse 3. And then the Lord will will go out and fight against those nations, Armageddon, as he fights in the day of battle. And on that day... His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. So the Bible describes through Zechariah there will be a great earthquake when Jesus returns after the battle of Armageddon. The Mount of Olives will split, will cause a new valley, and Jesus then will establish his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. So these angels are telling us what also Zechariah told us will happen. They say to the disciples, Jesus is going to come again, same way you've seen him go to the same place. He's going to come from the sky back to earth, come back to the Mount of Olives. He will settle the battle of Armageddon. And so don't despair. He's going to come again. But now they're going to leave the Mount of Olives. They're going to go back into the upper room of Jerusalem where they will just wait. They don't know for how long. They're going to wait for this fullness, for this baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
That's all for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. What are some things you've taken away from the messages here in Acts? Would you let us know? You can get in touch with us by sending an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. While you're sharing what you've learned, feel free to send us a prayer request so we can know how to be praying for our listeners. That email again is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Our radio ministry is an outpouring of what's going on here at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary teaches every Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. We also meet at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. To learn more about who we are, go to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so happy that you're part of our listening audience, and we'd be delighted to meet you and hear your faith journey. Like so many of the people mentioned in Acts, there's much transformation that happens in a person's heart when they seek to follow after God. We hope that's the case for you, too. All that to say, we hope you'll continue to tune in to these messages and keep growing as you dig into the book of Acts with us. We'll be right here, same time, same place, at Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.